Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back, nature nerds. It's me, Megan, and across from me is Jen, my wonderful co-host. At the end of this episode, Jen, we will need to do a shout out to a new Patreon. Yes. I wanted to throw something out there. Yes. Your awesome episode where we talked about familiars. That episode that everybody loved because it was pretty fun. It was fun. On Twitter, one of our listeners who's also a good friend of my best friend from way back when. Yeah. Her name's Camille. She's also in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She sent that meme for what we do in the shadows and talked about Guillermo. Yeah. As the best familiar <laughs> of all time. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this show? And I asked Megan and she's like, you should watch it. It's amazing. And I was like, what? I was like, it's basically Arrested Development, but with vampires. I immediately watched it. I immediately binged. I was going to say, don't just say you watched it. I think you binged it. I binged it. Well, I haven't <laughs> finished it yet. I had to slow down because I was like, I'm going to be sad when it's over. It's so funny. And I feel like everybody has failed me <laughs> for not telling me about the show sooner. I'm in friendship jail right now. You Pretty guys. much. And Camille's my new best friend. So. Oh, my God. So everyone Finally should... a worthy friend. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, <laughs> thanks, anyway, Camille. Thank, thanks, Camille, for the recommendation. It's so good. And there's a movie that I'm going to check it out. And it's perfect for, like, Halloween time. It is. What we do in the shadows. You got to go watch it right now. Just stop everything you're doing. Or if you're teleworking, watch it while you telework. So this is our last spooky episode. Perfect. I do want to share something really quick. A mutual friend of ours who's also a listener, Laura, shared a story with me. And it kind of relates to the science news I'm going to tell you today. Are you ready for this science news, Jen? I'm super ready. Let's hear it. All right. Okay, so I got this from sciencefriday.com. Because who doesn't love Science Friday? Everybody loves it. There's no one I know that doesn't love Science Friday. Exactly. There's like a whole section of like spine chilling science science spotlights. I love it. For like Halloween type stuff. And they're all from different years. And so the one for today is from 2017. And it is entitled A Mortician Search for the Good Death. Real quick, when I was in undergrad, I took a class called Death and Dying. And it was maybe the best class of my life. I loved it. We talked about all the things like different cultures, how they uh, deal with death. And we talked about like, when you die, what's the plan? Like, what's your personal plan. That's we so went, interesting. We went to like a mortuary. We learned about cremation. Wow. We actually held a funeral for a classmate who obviously didn't die. It was like a mock funeral. Uh-huh. And then we like planned it and did all the things to figure out how you would deal with that if someone died. And it was enlightening. This article is kind of like that. There's a mortician. Her name is Caitlin Doty. And she travels around the world. She put together this book called From Here to Eternity. And she, in the book, she travels the world to find the answer to what makes a good death. It depends on where you are, right? Like she goes to Indonesia. You went to Bali. I went to Bali. Mm-hmm. We didn't go at the same time. But when I was there, at least one of the times they were having a funeral procession. Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they had like a giant temple almost it took like a bunch of guys to carry it. We had a tour guide. And what he explained was that the body was actually in one of them. Mm-hmm. But the other two were to like confuse, I guess, evil spirits. 
from coming to get the body. They would go to each intersection and they would kind of like spin this big tower around that the body was in. Uh The idea was you wanted the spirit to not find its way back to the living. But the thing that I remember from that funeral procession is that our tour guide was like, sometimes if that person who died was like kind of a shitty person in Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. they would spin them around really hard so the body would fall out on the (gasps) street. And I was like, what? Why would you and he do was that? Like, yeah, so don't be a jerk. So in your funeral, you don't oh get like thrown gosh. out. Okay, so in Indonesia, some families mummify their deceased family members. And then during like ritual mm-hmm. type things or like, I don't think it's every year, but it's like kind of regularly, they'll dig them up, dress them, wash them, all of this, take photos with them, like the dead body, mm-hmm. right? And I think for us, that's like mind blowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Indonesians, it's it's like a celebration. They post pictures to Instagram. It's like a thing that they enjoy doing. I guess it depends on how they look at that body. A lot of religions look at it as just a, a vessel. Correct. That you're riding around in while mm-hmm. you're here on earth. Yeah. In this life. And then your spirit goes and then you're no longer part of that vessel. So. Right, right. I think too, for us growing up in like a Western society where a dead body is considered and she kind of talks about it that it's considered almost unclean or the possibility of disease or something like that that you get whisked off very quickly to Uh a mortuary or you get embalmed or you get cremated quickly like things happen very quickly right yeah but i think in this case it's like they make the point of mummifying and taking the time to take care of the body which is interesting i think we're like get the funeral over with get them in the ground or get them cremated Mm-hmm. because the body itself it doesn't hold that same significance. So another interesting tradition in Japan, mm-hmm. I don't know if you talked about this part. Our mutual friend Laura told me about when she was young growing up, she remembers a couple times like when family members passed away and they were cremated, mm-hmm. that the whole family would get together with these kind of giant chopsticks and sift through the ashes looking for the hyoid bone, like your neck bone. I don't know if it was considered good luck for whoever found that bone, uh-huh. uh, but they would sift through the ashes, I think, to separate out some stuff. But but that was like a thing that she fully remembers. It's like, I doing. got it. Yeah. Oh, my like, God. I got grandma's hyoid. But I mean, that. and I was like, whoa, that's, I was like, does that creep you out? And she was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when you grow up with those kinds of things. It's not creepy. It's not not weird. It's normal. It's totally normal. You know, and then I said, yeah, you know, when I think about it, seeing my grandmother's, my Nana's body in the casket, that was like kind of traumatizing as a younger kid. Mm -hmm. But if I saw just like her ashes, that's not, that's almost like you're not seeing that person. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Yeah, I've never been a fan of open casket yeah. funerals. But they never looked like them. For some people, they need they need to see the person the again. Body. Maybe say their final goodbyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to think of the person as I last remember, or in their best form as I remember them. Right. Yeah. Also, I think about people who used to take pictures with the corpse of a recently passed loved one, mm-hmm. like death pictures. Those also kind of creep me out. And they used to prop them up. Right. Those are definitely some like morbid, 
posted photos. But I think a lot of it was that sometimes they didn't have a picture of them at all because pictures weren't so common. Yeah. And so that was the only photo they were ever going to have of their child or maybe a loved one. Right. So they wanted to immortalize them. Yeah, she's saying that some of these traditions are healthier ways maybe to deal with mortality or a healthy way to deal with mortality. You know, if she were to contrast that with the United States where, quote, removing money and profit from death is almost unheard of, mostly because it is difficult to accomplish, which is true. Like not a lot of people in the U.S. physically bury their own dead. It's an industry. There's a mortuary. There there aren't a lot of options for just like taking taking care of a loved one who passed away. Yeah. When we were in Peace Corps, when someone passed away, they didn't go to a mortuary. They went to the house and then you bury them in the family grave and everyone participated in that burial and that's how it used to be but that's not how it is in the states now it's definitely a business i went to so many funerals staying on the islands and they have to go pretty fast because it's hot you gotta move quickly on those things and it was interesting to watch you know the rituals which is a lot of ladies wailing which is also uncomfortable for a westerner It's true. The first time I saw that, it was like very over the top. And I was like, is this fake or is it real? I don't know. And sometimes I think it is a little bit of a like, I have to do this. I'm going to do this. Yes. And sometimes it's very emotional. So So when I asked other people, they said that it was real. Mm -hmm. And they also did a chance old stories that they had had with that person and sometimes they would chant it in like an older language mm-hmm. it was really interesting so Dodie goes on to talk about the emerging concept of conservation burials which I'm super into the idea of a simple burial without embalming I can't remember what they're called now but you could be buried into like a pod that grows yeah. a tree yeah like that kind of stuff I'm kind of super into that uh, so that you could have like a memorial forest instead of gravestones they everybody has a tree everybody as a tree yeah yeah so she also talks about what might happen when you donate your body to science and actually in that death and dying class i remember that someone was talking kind of talking trash about people who donate their body to science really and i had to be like my grandfather donated his body to science oh did he really he did yeah so he he had lung cancer Mm -hmm. and then it metastasized and then he had to I mean, he was in hospice for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he decided to donate his body, I think, to Emory University in Atlanta. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong about that. At the end of them using his body, they cremated him, put him in a grave with the kind of participants in that group. I think because I like the idea of helping people learn, mm-hmm. like even after death. Well, what about a body farm? Would you do that? I've thought about it. Yeah. Because you, it's like you're contributing in some way to science. Yeah. And people are learning something from your body. In this article, she talks about how you should really research donating your body to science and make sure you understand that you could be, your body could be used for any number of things. Mm -hmm. It could be used in like an anatomy class or yeah, if you specifically donate it to like a body farm, you don't know what your situation is going to be or how your body is going to be treated. You got to make sure that you understand what you're getting into. Right. She just cautions people uh, against like signing up and then not knowing what their body's going to be used for. Right. And I think that's smart. Be sure you know what you want because there's a lot of options. Yeah. That's good to know. Throw me in a ditch. (laughs) (laughs) That's my science news for this week. That was so um, morbid. I have a story that I feel like kind of works well with that story. Your science news. Oh, fun. I love that that happens. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Kind of, sort of, in a kind of creepy way. I'm going to be talking about the Donner Party. (laughs) I like how you're like, that kind of (laughs) relates. 
to kind of relate to what's going to happen to your body after you die and being okay with it. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, I know a lot of people are very familiar with this story. Mm-hmm. Maybe familiar as far as like, yeah, there were some people and they ate each other. Right. But do we know the details? Not really. They were going across a pass. That's all. It is pretty creepy and sad. It really fits our theme of surviving. Very harsh elements and being pushed to extremes. And it is one of the most disturbing tales of the Western migration of all time. Is it the inspiration for Cannibal the Musical? Don't even know. Have you ever watched Cannibal the Musical? I have not. Trey Parker. Oh, really? And Matt Stone, yeah. No. It's a musical about cannibals. Oh, wow. I'm just going to throw out that everyone should go watch it. As I was reading about all this, it was like, you know, there's different kinds of cannibalism Mm -hmm. and it could be tied to a culture or tied to some sort of like to psychosis or it could be linked to a survival. Like a situational. Scenario. Yeah, right. Like telework is situational. (laughs) (laughs) Cannibalism also situational. Telework should be situational 100% of the time. Oh, yeah. My situation is always that. I need to tell her. <laughs> okay, this is during a time that was considered manifest destiny. That phrase was coined in 1845, and it was the idea that the U.S. was destined by God, people believed, to expand its dominion and spread democracy and capitalism across the entire North American continent. So the philosophy drove people to expand. It helped them justify the forced removal of Native Americans and other groups from their homes. Mm. And it led to that kind of rapid expansion of the U.S., A lot of people were migrating from the East Coast and moving more further west. Mm -hmm. It just kept happening. So by 1846, a lot of people were moving west. And there was a group, this guy, uh, George Donner of the Donner Party. He was the organizer of this expedition. And he advertised in Springfield in the Illinois Gazette. He invited anyone who wanted to travel to California for free land over there because they were given a land away for free because it's just like here's all this free land which it wasn't free because it was belonged to the native americans side note he wanted more people to join them because maybe they f- he figured be better as a large group they can so- support each other along the way more people to hunt for each other and whatever a lot of people were into it they're like yep things aren't going so well here let's go west they didn't like those chicago winners they weren't into it on april 16th 1846 a group of 87 men and women and children left Springfield, Illinois, and they started their long journey to California. They stopped first in Independence, Missouri, where most uh, wagon trains stocked up on supplies before starting west. And this Donner Party, as they called it, set out on May 12th with the hope of arriving in California before the winter snows arrived in the Sierra Nevada mountains. They had 20 wagons amongst them. I looked at this group and there were a lot of different families. It's a lot. I mean, it's 87 people. I won't go into the whole thing. List all 87. (laughs) Like, let me give you the manifest right now. (laughs) So there was the Breen family, the Reed family, the George Donner family, the Jacob Donner family, the Eddie E.D.D.Y. family, the Graves family, the Murphy family. It says Murphy's foster and Pikes. Those were all like last names and they were all extended family. But they were like a little bit smaller groups individually. The McCutcheon family, the Wolfinger family, the Kessberg family. And then there were a bunch of people that were just 
employed by these certain families, like whether they were working on the farm or in some sort of employment. Mm -hmm. And there was so those were kind of like single individual folks that were going along. And just side note, uh, from the Reed family, he was a business owner in Illinois, Mm -hmm. and was good friends with a lawyer that was working in Illinois at the time, who Mm -hmm. happened to be Abraham Lincoln. What? And he almost convinced him to come along. But the problem is, is that Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary, had a small kid and was pregnant with another one. And she's like, hell no, I'm not taking that trip right now. That's crazy. Yeah. And also, and during that time, he was elected as a congressman. So he was like, now I'll stay back. Wild. So for some reason, they started their trip late. There were other groups that had gone and they had left already. For some reason, they waited. And they say that if you were going to do this travel on the California Trail, you needed it was like a tight schedule. People had done it. They knew the route. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you got to get there before it starts snowing or you hit, you know, any kind of winter along the way. Yeah. So they needed to head west late enough in the spring for there to be grass available for their animals but early enough so they could cross the mountains before winter. The best time was to leave sometime around mid to late April. But for some reason, it doesn't say why. They just don't know why the Donner Party didn't leave until May 12th. This is why fathers across the world wake up at 4 a.m. to get everyone in the car on time so you're not late leaving for a road trip. Yes. Or they get to the airport at 6 a.m. for a 2 p.m. flight. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is the lesson. This is where they learned it. I have to say my husband is that person. (laughs) And I'm like, we're fine. He's like, no, we need three hours. Anyway. They were the last major pioneer train of 1846, and their late start left them with very little room for error. And there's a lot of journals they got this information from, and one of them wrote, I am beginning to feel alarmed at the tardiness of our movements and fearful that winter will find us in the snowy mountains of California. So after reaching Wyoming, most California-bound pioneers followed this route that went north through Idaho before turning south and moving across Nevada. So in 1846, though, there was this guidebook that was a not a very good guidebook by this guy, Lansford Hastings, and he was promoting a straighter and supposedly quicker path that cut through the Wasatch Mountains and across the Salt Lake Desert. There was just one problem with this is that no one had ever traveled this shortcut that they called the Hastings Cutoff, or uh, at least Nobody with wagons, and even the guy Hastings had never done it himself. Don't be Hastings. Got to throw some humor in this. (laughs) Listen, I know where it's going, so I... (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, is we all know this story, but... Like, every time you say the last name Donner, it just automatically... There was this guy, Edwin Bryant, he was a journalist, um, traveling with the Donner party. It says, eager to see Hastings' much-hyped shortcut, he went ahead to scout the trail, and he at first he was like, this is going to be amazing, but he came back and was really concerned and was like hey you guys I don't think our wagons can get through this this looks not good oh that's not good yeah and so he actually he returned to this trading post at this place called Black Fork and left a warning letter for the Donner party and he was telling them like don't do it but apparently they didn't get that letter I was they did say, not get the memo I was gonna say it's like that scene in Romeo and Juliet the Baz Luhrmann version where there's like the the guy with the letter misses him by like a minute yeah, yeah it was that and there's other people that said that there was this guy jim bridger he was this frontiersman and he owned a trading post because if they came through that shortcut 
they would go right by his uh, trading post. They would buy stuff from him. Oh my God. This guy Bridger, he gave them the Donner Party written instructions that Hayseen had left for him, allowing the travelers to continue on their way, oblivious to the dangers ahead. That guy. What so, happened to that guy? I don't know. He was just forever a jackass. The Donner Party members were excited because they're like, hey, this thing looks good. The Hayseen's cutoff is said, and this is what this guy James Reed, that was the Reed I was speaking of. Yeah. He wrote, Hastings Cutoff is said to be saving 350 to 400 miles and a better route. The rest of the Californians went the long route, feeling afraid of Hastings Cutoff, but Mr. Bridger informs me that it is a fine little road with plenty of water and grass. It is estimated that 700 miles will take us to Captain Sutter's Fort, which we hope to make in seven weeks from this day. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. And there was another experienced mountain man that also gave some warnings, but the 20 Donner Party wagons took a gamble on the hate because they were already behind, right? And they knew it. So they're like, let's just, let's take this shortcut. The problem is they were forced to follow this trail themselves by having to cut down trees. They nearly died from thirst during a five-day crossing of the salt desert. And rather than saving time on the shortcut, they ended up adding nearly a month to their journey. Oh. They're already late. Plus But because they could barely, they said it was a terrible trail they could barely get their wagons across they're having to clear it the whole way right probably removing boulders and rocks and there wasn't grass there wasn't water it was terrible and i also read that during this time they lost a lot of their cattle because they died of thirst or they just ran away because they were like f you guys they just peaced out there was also a lot of infighting and you know when things Mm -hmm. aren't going right people are gonna argue yeah we know this from other stories because it's stressful Mm -hmm. right and there's a lot of women and little kids like babies and small kids. It's hot. There's not enough water. And they really didn't have enough rations from the beginning. Just as Bryant had predicted, the shortcut turned out to be a grueling waste of time. It took a lot of their resources. It, their tempers were coming up. And things, they say, shortly came to a head after the party made it through Hastings Cutoff and returned to a more established trail. Mm-hmm. Two wagons somehow got entangled. And the owners, this guy, James Reed, who was the one that was friends with Abe Lincoln, mm-hmm. and this other guy, John Snyder got into a fight. And so I read two different accounts. One was that John Snyder started like whipping his cattle or a steer Mm -hmm. relentlessly and they were yelling at him to stop and the wife went up and was like hey you just need to stop that and he hit the wife (gasps) with the whip and it was and so that's when her husband James Reed went and stabbed that guy oh dang he stabbed him in the chest killed him almost instantly whoa another one said that John Snyder was actually hitting James Reed over the head with his ox whip whatever it is maybe he was either way that guy was like not he was having a bad day and he took it out on yeah Someone from the Reed family. Right. And then he died. And so they say that the Reed family, they didn't have enough rations from from the beginning. And so they were constantly kind of like bartering and trading and trying to get more. And so they weren't very well liked anyway. Mm. So once this happened, once they knew like, oh, crap, he killed this guy. So the rest of the group was like, you know, because they were they were outside of where there was any kind of law because they're already crossing into kind of like lawless, right. unestablished lands. They kind of had to decide among themselves how they were going to deal with it. So a lot of people wanted him to be hanged for killing that guy. Yeah. 
But they say that his wife, you know, and his family cried and begged, like, don't do that. So what they did is they exiled him. Oh. They were like, you can't take your wagon. You can't take any weapons. You can't take anything. You just need to go. And so he left his kids and his wife behind. Oh. But they say that his daughter snuck up ahead on a horse and handed him like some gun, I don't know, some sort of weaponry or a gun or something. Right. Just so he would have something with him because it was so dangerous. Exile is kind of death in this situation. Yeah. I don't go into it here. And there's so many details about this story that Mm -hmm. I could just go on and on, but I'm not. But they say along the way that there was a lot of, you know, they ran into different Native American tribes that would hang with them for a couple of days and kind of help them, but then steal some of their horses and cattle. (laughs) Be like later and then you know so they kind of ran into issues along the way so it wouldn't have been safe for any person out on their own without any kind of way to defend themselves right right. or take the hunt yeah right but what they say is that he knew that they were super delayed and they that he rushed ahead along the california trail and he was hoping because his wife and kids are there Mm -hmm. and he was hoping to get some help back to them by sending provisions or something Mm. because he knew that it was not gonna go well as they're going along already delayed they're weeks behind schedule and they reach the eastern side of the sierra nevada mountains by late october you still have a month to get through this pass everybody was like okay we got this we can do this it's no problem on october 31st the donner party spent the night just 300 meters from the summit of the pass Oh, on Halloween. I know. Their plan was to clear the summit the next day and start going down out of the range. That was the worst of the journey. Like once they pass that, mm-hmm. they're good to go. And the only reason they didn't clear the summit that day was because the one of the Donner family wagons broke a wheel. They were like, well, we have time. Let's fix this wheel. So everybody stayed back to help them and wait for them. Mm-hmm. And that night, it snowed five feet. Winter came early. Oh, no. At that point, they couldn't go over the summit. And they realized that their chance of getting over before winter was gone. They had low supplies. But at that point, they had no choice but to go back to this lake called Truckee Lake, now known as Donner Lake. Oh, and make camp Mm -hmm. and they're like we're just gonna have to stick it out until we have no other choice we can't get over this summit at this point apparently this winter of 1846 turned out to be one of the worst winters in the history of the sierra nevadas i guess the snowpack uh, it piled from 15 to 30 feet high and for five months they were stranded with no food no chance for escape or rescue. Nobody could get to them and they couldn't get out. So they each made shelters. They made cabins around the lake. They were forced to butcher the cattle that they had to eat. And at that point, they were starting to starve. They were boiling leather shoestrings and hides for food. Before long, they even ran out of those supplies. People started to die at this point from starvation or sickness. There were two men that died. One of them was a driver for the reeds. For malnutrition, probably because just eating like weird stuff. And now they knew that they were not going to survive until spring. 17 of the members, they call themselves or somebody coined them the Forlorn Hope. Very ominous and Western yeah. of the time. On December 16th, 1846, they set out to try and go find help. So remember the Graves family, right? It was yeah. one of the families. The main guy, Franklin Graves, he made 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and hide. But there were 17 of them. There was also some men and women that went out. I have a list of them, but I'm not going to read it all off. Let's just say that four of the men were fathers leaving their wives and kids behind because they felt like they just needed to go get help. 
three of the women were mothers and they gave their kids to other women to take care of. They each packed enough for six days of rations because they thought they could make it across in six days. They each had a rifle, a blanket, a hatchet, some pistols, and they started to try to get to Bear Valley. This historian Charles McGlashan, he's the one that called them the forlorn hope. I don't think they called themselves that. (laughs) They're like, we're the forlorn hope. (laughs) I'm sure they would have a better name for themselves, like the team saviors of the team number one or, you know, like forlorn hope. Just all I can see is people trudging through snow, Charlie Brown style. Just so sad. (laughs) Just so sad. So two of those that didn't get snowshoes, one was this kid, 10 year old Charles Berger and another guy, William Murphy. They just went back. They're like, you know what? You need snowshoes. Yeah. The other people, they made some more snowshoes. They made one for this 12 year old boy. His name was Lemuel, like Samuel, but L-E. Oh, okay. Lemuel Murphy. And they made it on the first from some pack saddles they had. And the snowshoes, they said were awkward, but they were effective in their climb. And None of them were in good health when they left. Right. At all. And the snow was like 12 feet deep. And on the third day, most of them were snow blind. We've talked about snow. We've talked about snow blindness. Yeah. On the sixth day, there was this other guy. His name was William Henry Eddy. They say he discovered his wife had hidden half a pound of bear meat in his pack. And he had killed a bear. Like he was one of their best hunters. It says on the morning of December 21st, there was this guy, Stanton, that he had been having trouble for a few days. He remained behind saying he would fall short and they found his remains later Mm. in that location the following year. Oh, no. So he just... He just didn't make it. He didn't make it. As a group, they became lost and confused. Uh, They went a couple more days without food and this guy, Patrick Dolan proposed that one of them should volunteer to die in order to feed the rest of the group. I get it. Desperation. Yeah. But they were you, desperate. if you were in a group and someone suggested that the tone of the trip would just <laughs> like the morale would be real low by then. Just immediately change. I mean, these were people. Oh I can't imagine. I, yeah. The I kind mean, of hunger. Stories like this just make me feel very good to be living, even though we're like on the brink of so many horrible things. Yeah. In our time. But it's not this bad. Yeah. Anytime anybody complains, I'm like, it could always be worse. So other people were like, well, maybe we should have a duel, you know, because duels were still kind of a thing back then. And other ones talked about a lottery. Can you imagine? Like the short straw kind of thing. And that was to see who would be sacrificed. Well, they say William Eddy suggested they keep moving until somebody just fell. There you go. I, I don't even think you need to talk about it. Just everyone knows. Everyone knows the first one out. But they were stuck in a blizzard. Nobody could keep moving they were just stuck right Right. so there was this guy antonio he was an animal handler that was one of the employees and he was the first to to go and actually franklin graves was the next the blizzard kept going and patrick dolan the one who suggested somebody should volunteer he actually began to lose his mind he was ranting deliriously he took off all of his clothes doesn't this kind of remind you of that this reminds me of vitamin a yeah. Oh, right. Vitamin right, right, right. A sickness, right? They were just so malnourished at this point yeah. and starving. He took off all of his clothes, ran into the woods and returned shortly after, like not long after, and then he died. And they say that not long after that, possibly because there was another guy that was near death, that they decided they were going to eat the flesh from Patrick Dolan. So the one who suggested it... Oh, that's ironic. ...is the one who died, and he was the first to get eaten. Lemuel Murphy, he was really sick. He was about to go, and his sister was there, and she was trying to feed some of this flesh to her brother to keep him alive, to keep him from dying, but then he died. Not good. So during the 
this expedition, this hiking party. I didn't talk about this earlier, but there was a couple Native Americans named Salvador and, and Lewis. And they had actually joined earlier. And I read different things about at what point they joined. But they were trying to guide them through this whole ordeal. I don't know what was in it for them or why they were doing it necessarily. But they seemed like pretty cool guys. They were young. They say between 16 and 19 years old. They had gone with them and they were like, we are not eating people. That is right. so anti our culture. <laughs> like yeah. we, we will not do that. I'm sorry. So they refused to engage in the cannibalism. Mm-hmm. I guess at some point there was another m- member of the party. His name was William Foster. And he had suggested to kill those two because they weren't family to anybody, weren't related. And he had suggested to murder them to oh feed everybody. God. But the guy, William Eddy, he he was also not into cannibalism and he didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. And he felt really bad about it. So he warned those two and they ran off. Smart. Unfortunately, they were found a couple of days later. They had also, I mean, they were starving. They were exhausted. They found them laying in the snow. And that guy, William Foster, shot them both in the head. And they also said that at oh. this point, William Foster was losing his mind too. So they weren't dead. They found him and then he just shot them. Oh. Yes. So of the whole the, the whole Donner Party incident, they were the only two that were actually murdered. Known to be murdered. Okay. For food. That's awful. They were eaten by the rest of the group. Apparently William Eddy uh, the whole time refused, but I I think they say he got to a point where he did right have some because he just couldn't. He couldn't. He yeah. couldn't survive without it. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was only a few days later that that this hike, this group stumbled into a Native American settlement and they looked so scary and messed up that all that tribe, they ran away <laughs> and they like hid. They were scared. And yeah. then they kind of watched them from afar and then they were like, wait, those are people who actually need help. And they gave them acorns, grass, and pine nuts that they had a collected their reserves. Right, yeah. yeah. And after a few days, William Eddy continued on with the help of these tribe members. Oh, wow. It's so crazy, right? Yes. How many people helped these settlers? Then later got screwed over. Yes. The tribe members ended up helping them reach this ranch or this little farming community at the edge of Sacramento Valley. After they got there, they started putting together a rescue party and for the rest of the hikers. And they only found six survivors on January 17th. So that whole journey had taken 33 days. And they had only taken rations for, what, six days? Yeah. Not good. Because there were blizzards. And they just got lost. And they were losing their minds because they were starving. So we're going to talk about the rest of them that stayed back at Mm -hmm. the lake. I'm wondering about them. Because it's not good either. So a lot of them were kids. And they say that's normal with most pioneer trains. The Donner Party was largely made up of family wagons Mm -hmm. with young children, adolescents. And of all the people that were stranded at the lake, more than half of them were under the age of 18. And six of them were infants, like babies. Oh, no. Actually, in the end, made up the the majority of the survivors. That makes me feel better. I thought this was going to go a different way. It's not all good for everybody, but... The majority of the survivors in the end were women and children. As their supplies dwindled, the ones that were stranded at Truckee Lake started eating some really gross stuff. And it was pretty sad. I mean, these are mothers watching their kids starve. They slaughtered their pack animals. There's a quote. I don't think I copied it in here, but she says that we had to cook our beloved dogs. Oh, no. Yeah, they had. To, they even ate the paws, everything. They gnawed on like leftover bones. They boiled animal hides into this gross, they said a grotesque like foul paste. And they ate it 
A lot of people died from malnutrition because they were just eating like really weird stuff. They ate boiled leather. They ate tree bark. And there were some that never actually participated in the cannibalism. They just ate that weird stuff and managed to survive. And made it through. Yeah. Wow. Because they say not not all of the settlers did that. They ate these things until the first rescue parties arrived in February and March of 1847. The next year. The spring. So they were, that was in December of 46. Mm -hmm. And so January, February. So it was a couple months later. But not all of them, once the rescue party started coming, were strong enough to escape. They could only take a few. I mean, this is people like also risking their lives to get back in to find these people. Right. One of the main reasons they started a rescue party was that when James Reed was banished earlier and he like hightailed it he actually is the one that set up the first rescue party to go back and help his family and his friends so they were able to go back and get some people but what happened is a lot of the people that had died and they were in the snow frozen they just cut away at them over time and when the first rescuers got there they say it was disturbing they found human remains whole and partly eaten many of the survivors were emaciated and some were just insane already Mm -hmm. and they said it would take four different parties and several months to rescue everybody from february through april one rescuer had single-handedly led nine survivors out of the mountains it's the most famous of the donner party saviors his name was john stark he was a burly California settler who took part in the third relief party. And this was in early March of 1847. Um, he and two other rescue- rescuers stumbled upon 11 immigrants, mostly kids, who had been left in the mountains by an earlier relief group. Oh. I know. Wait, wait, wait. They're like, so bye kids. They got rescued. They get like halfway and then they're like, stay here. We'll be right back. BRB. They might have taken like the smallest kids first. Sure. I'm thinking... I don't know. I don't know how it was decided among their survivors, like who went and who stayed. Right. So they say two other rescuers each grabbed a single child and started going back down the slope. But Stark was unwilling to leave anyone behind. He rallied the weary adults, they say, and gathered the rest of the children, began guiding the group single-handedly. Most of the kids were too weak to walk, so he carried two of them at a time for a few yards then settled them down in the snow going back and forth like to grab other people and he did this process all the way down the mountain and he eventually led all nine of those people to safety wow and years later one of the survivors credited her rescue to nobody but god and stark and the virgin mary wow yeah that's intense the fourth and final rescue was in april 10th of 1847 Mm -hmm. and it was mostly supposed to be like a salvage rescue that i don't think they thought anybody would still be alive they were just gonna go like check around the camps salvage any property for the people the survivors like get any of their stuff and they believe that everybody that was part of that group had already been rescued or they were dead but to their surprise they found this guy lewis keysburg alive and all alone except for all the corpses around him apparently he was found with a gun and pots of human meat and they say much of the donner's family gold Oh. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. They said that they found animal meat hidden and untouched in the corner. And they were like, it was still good enough to eat. So they weren't sure why he was cannibalizing. William Eddy was part of this rescue. Like he wanted to go back because he knew his wife and his kids didn't make it 
And I think he went back oh, to get their remains or maybe I'm not sure get their stuff or go see when he went back and they found this guy Kiesberg. He realized that Kiesberg was eating the remains of his son and that Eddie like pretty much lost his mind and wanted to kill him right there. And yeah. the other members of the rescue party were like, yeah, let's just kill this guy. I mean, this is this is effed up. But apparently some other people were like, no, 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 he's insane. Let's just take him back. Somehow they ended up taking him back to Sutter's Fort, wherever that is with them. And he uh-huh. was never charged with anything. But did- they say he lived the rest of his life in solitude. I was gonna say, did anyone get him any kind of like, not that mental health was I don't like think that was a, a thing, thing back, then. back then, but like he just drank a lot. They say that he was kind of the master villain of the whole tragedy, or like at least that's as the tales go. Sure. And they say that he would like talk about it a lot to people, which didn't help. And that he and his wife were from Germany. But his wife was not with it. He I don't think the wife made it. They say he was the son of a Lutheran clergyman and they decided to join this group moving west they say he was a sharp tempered fellow who was sometimes abusive to his young pregnant wife and he was also accused of plundering indian burial burial sites oh no so not a cool guy at all so he like started out kind of being a douche and then just mentally went downhill yeah and then ate a bunch of people late april of 1847 everything was finally over so they say once they found him they knew like that was it there was really no one else And in the end, 87 men, women, and children began the journey, but only 46 survived. And it would have been a lot lower if those rescue missions and James Reed demanding that help be sent hadn't happened. And also, they also think that Lewis and Salvador helped a lot in guiding them, like Mm -hmm. especially even that group that freaking murdered them and ate them. So sad. They say of all the families on the journey, the Donner family lost the most. All four of the adults and four of the children died. But they say for the Reed family and the Breens that mm. they all survived. Was there like a reason why they all survived? Are they like more hardy people or? I, I'm not really sure how they all survived, but they did. And there was a lot in the Breen family. Uh, let's see. Patrick was 51. Margaret was 40. That's the parents. And then they had 14 year old, 13, 9, 8, 5, 3, and 1. Wow. And they all made it. And the Reed family was James Reed. And then he got, you know, exiled. His wife, Margaret, was 32. And then they had 13-year-old Virginia, 8-year-old Martha, 6-year-old James, 4-year-old Thomas. And they did say that there was maybe the mother of Margaret Reed. She was 70, but she did. She died. So there were 15 of those solo travelers that were like working for some of the families. Mm -hmm. All died except two. Oh, wow. 22 people were cannibalized. Seven were children. Oh, no. The youngest was three. Oh. I just don't think that's right. But they say not everybody did it. Sure. It was about half. Yeah, because it seems like about half of the party passed away. And then half of those people mm-hmm. were cannibalized, right? Yeah. So later that summer of 1847, there was this Union Army General, Stephen Kearney, that had to go back and they were saying clean up the Donner Party debris. He and his men gathered up all the remnants they could find, including human remains, and placed them in one of the shacks and they set the whole thing on fire. They also say that during this time, there was war with Mexico was happening. Oh, okay. And so that was another reason why, like, the rescue took so long. There weren't the resources at the time to put into this. Yeah. Yeah. There was one kid that I saw on this list, and I read about it later, that died from eating too much after they 
were rescued. Oh, like they ate too fast or mm-hmm. something? I think we've talked about that in some of the like lost at sea. You can't do that yeah. to your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to go gradually, which has got to be for people who are starving. That has to be like painful. I know, right? To You're so hungry and you cannot. I mean, I'm sure in your brain, it's just like you just want to eat. And I think a lot of the people, you know, that died at the camp early on and that were just out in the snow and when people started starving, especially yeah. the kids, yeah. a lot of the meat was fed to the kids to keep them alive. Right. There was a one quote that I saw from a survivor that was a kid uh-huh. that said that, yeah, they were feeding us and my dad was crying. And she's like, but they just, we didn't know any better. And you, they were just they, eating. Yeah. We were just hungry. Yeah. It's obviously not a blessing for anybody to be in this situation. But like, if you were a kid, and you didn't know what you were being given. Yeah, that would be ideal. So I saw this other article that was related that was saying that humans are not very nutritious. <laughs> like we're, just, we're just not. <laughs> yeah, sure. Compared to other things. Yeah. But so over time, they say the only time humans are being cannibalized and when it's, when it's a really desperate situation, typically not being murdered for food. I mean, it's happened, but usually sure. it's people die and then everybody else, they're just taking advantage of the fact that there's meat, a meat source. Right. If you're in that situation where your kid is dying from starvation. Anything. Oh, you yeah. will do anything. You'll do mm-hmm. anything for sure. So let's talk about some ghost stories. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of details with the Donner. I mean, it's sure, basically sure, sure. they took a shortcut. It was a bad deal. They got stuck in the snow. Don't take a shortcut. Don't rely on some guy who's trying to make money off of the shortcut yeah. to give you your messages. Exactly. Ugh. Anyway, and there's there's a lot of more details and there's there's details on every single person in this group. Right. We'll be here all day. We just can't do it, guys. So, but we were, we're here to talk about some ghost stories. Yeah, because it's Halloween It's time. Halloween. It's one of the scariest stories in American history. It's just terrible. It's infamous. Yes. Yeah. You so, don't even have to know the story to know the story. Exactly. So now there's this area called the Donner Memorial State Park in California. They say that there's a park interpreter that states that the area is haunted mm-hmm. and she points to the fact that they have brought cadaver dogs in the area and they indicate one specific area that holds human remains. Yeah. People believe that one of the ghosts that haunts the park is that of Tamsin Donner mm-hmm. and that she was actually considered one of the heroines of this story because at the time that the Donner party was stranded, her husband George was the leader of the group, right? And Mm. he was still trying to keep it all together, but he injured his hand and his hand got gangrene. Oh no. And he couldn't go because he got really sick when the rescue mission started coming and she stayed back. But they said there were a lot of things that she did that were really admirable to help keep people, especially the kids, Mm -hmm. keep them busy in their minds, keep the morale up. She was a natural educator and she dreamed Mm -hmm. of starting a girls school in California. She liked, she was like a botanist She loved collecting specimens of plants along their route. And for her, like, she saw the whole trip as a learning adventure. So she was a nature nerd. Love it. I know. Um, And they say that people flocked to her because of her personality and how she was. Apparently, she completely refused to participate in the cannibalism. Yeah. At the end, she would not leave her husband. He was the older of the Donner brothers, I Mm -hmm. guess George was. She sent her kids. That's how all their kids survived. Oh, wow. she didn't. And at the end, he died from that infection in his hand and she stayed, which eventually she ended up dying too. 
They say that her body was never claimed to have been found. Oh. But I'm like, if they went back and they burned all the bodies, but they were saying that even during that, they didn't find her. her find her. And so they say her spirit still haunts the place. And they say like her, I've seen her and her husband or just her. Um, and that she can be seen as like this yellowish figure that's floating above the ground. Oh. There was one visitor, they call her Elizabeth. I don't think that's her real name. That mm-hmm. said that as she was driving, she... I don't know if she blogged this or how they have this story, but she was getting a warm feeling as she drove toward the Donner Pass. She felt like this feeling like she was going to see an old friend. Oh. And it confused her because she didn't have any plans to see an old friend. Yeah. So, and as she got closer and closer to the park, she like started to cry. She parked and she could smell campfire burning. And she felt as if somebody was watching her, but she was the only person there. Like she felt a presence but it was Weird. just her. So she walked to one of the cabins that the Donner Party used. She heard voices, but there, there was nobody and there was no fire. Another woman that they called Joanne Williams, I don't know if it was that's her real name, she was hypnotically regressed to a past life by this paranormal researcher, Dr. Michael Newton, and this was in the early 1990s. And they say that she was possessed by a Donner Party survivor, Patty Reed, oh. um, that was eight years old during that time. And she said that she had been carried out of the camp by a Frenchman and when asked what was most responsible for the tragedy her answer was Hastings which was of course the name of the shortcut yeah Joanne I'm like air quoting Joanne Williams they had no knowledge of the Donner party in her waking state oh and this lady Patty Reed that she apparently was possessed by had died in 1923 when she was 85 and wasn't like a ghost but it was like maybe a reincarnation into her because she was in that Mm. area came through I don't know but that was just another one of the stories maybe you know they say like when tragic things happen in a place that things keep being relived there's another story about somebody who was not looking for a paranormal experience there's this guy he was out skiing alone at sugar bowl ski resort Mm-hmm. close to where the Donner party had camped and he became disoriented and realized that he was lost and he was like where am I what's happening and then he said this woman approached him and she was dressed strangely like a pioneer possibly and she led him to a camp where several other people were he then found the trail he needed to be on he returned to this camp and thanked the woman but there was no trace of her at the campsite weird nothing was there to indicate that it had been a f- like full of people just minutes before I couldn't find anything i didn't want to watch it again but i couldn't find anything that talked about it but the travel the travel channel mm-hmm. they have the my haunted house series right, right, yeah and season four episode one is called feast did we talk about this did you watch why this one? did they name it feast it's kind of amazing i remember watching it and i was just like really apparently it was like these three friends that had gone three or four friends i think mm-hmm. there was only three of them that had gone for a bachelorette kind of getaway uh-huh at donner lake yeah they rented a cabin they're like you know having like a girls weekend in the woods like to hang out before she's gonna go get married hey I'm, I'm cool with that like yeah, sure. I, I, I i mean but for like a- not I mean, I don't. Maybe they don't know about it. They're just going to go rent a cabin by a lake. Bukiuki things start happening. I can only remember like somebody going outside to use the bathroom, and then there was like creepy ghosts that were like blood coming from their mouth. Oh! And then there was like the one of the girls started eating raw meat. What? Remember that? What? It was really random. Like they I went outside, and she's that. on the porch, like <laughs> like eating raw meat, and they're like. 
<laughs> They're like, what's going on? And they were saying it's because it was haunted by the Donner. That sounds sensationalized. Well, it is my haunted house on the travel channel. That's so. true. Could have been. <laughs> Lies. I do have a organization to support, Megan. I was gonna, I'm like, how are we going to? Well, I was thinking since it was in the Sierra Nevada. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I decided we'll go with that. We're going to support the Sierra Forest Legacy, which was founded in 1996. You can find it at sierraforestlegacy.org. Their mission is to engage land managers, scientists, and stakeholders in the management of the Sierra Nevada ecosystems to protect and restore the unparalleled beauty and natural values of the region. They they take best practices of science, advocacy, and grassroots engagement through coalition building to safeguard forest lands throughout the Sierra Nevada. Let's not think about people dying and eating each other. Let's think about how we can support. Yeah. And they have this like like a whole page of partners that they work with That's to do cool. all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, yeah. I thought we'd end on that. A lighter note? Yes. Sure. So there you go. There's the Donner Party. I mean, we talked about doing it at some point, so I figured why not do it at Halloween? For sure. I think there's probably a lot more stories of hauntings Mm -hmm. if you were to go to that town and talk to people, but that's all I could find written. I am having a real hard time (laughs) trying to figure out what I would put in my emergency preparedness kit. I think... A map? (laughs) This is literally what I was thinking in my brain right now. Like, how did you just read that out of my mind? Not no shortcut map. Yes. Yeah. They needed a map and they needed a dad from the 1990s. Like a, in the 1980s, 1990s time, they need they need like a suburban dad. Oh, yeah. Ready for a road trip. That's what they need. They needed the road trip dad. Yeah. That left super early. A map and he a road already trip had dad. His, he already had his AAA atlas. Oh. Highlighted the route. He was on cup three of his coffee. Oh, for sure. He was ready the day before. My favorite part about road trips is that we would always stop in McDonald's because they were the only thing open. Yes. And we would get McDonald's breakfast and it was like the best thing ever because we never did that. Yeah. Unless we were going on a road trip. And it was... It It was was still dark. It was super early. You couldn't make breakfast and put it in the car. No. It was like you had to go there. You had to go and it was so good. you know what it was is that they also had to get more coffee. Of course. Because I know now. I know as a parent, I'm yeah. like, I'm not trying to make breakfast while we're trying to leave the house. We're getting it on the way. I need to get some coffee. I do miss road trips. We're reflecting right now. We're, just having, a- sil- we're having some silent reflection. <laughs> just a moment of like, <laughs> I think that's definitely, we need to make a time machine. Yes. Get them a good map. Bring them a suburban dad. With a with a AAA atlas. With a AAA atlas. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. For sure. That's a tragic story. It's so sad. I mean, there was a, I, I feel like the whole like pioneer time when people were immigrating across the US. Yeah. There's a lot of tragic stories. Like that was rough. I feel like this bad time in our history. It's like a time of uh, like weirdly innovation and resilience, if you will. But at the same time, it's just a really tragic time for Native Americans. It's a tragic time for pioneers like trying to live in essentially the, yeah, just like 
abject poverty and figuring mm-hmm. it out. And yeah. And it's like, where are you going to go back to? Yeah. It's not any better. You can't go backwards. <laughs> Actually, just recently, I saw this. It was like a meme or something. When people say things like, your ancestors would be so disappointed in you now. But it's like, no, they would be like excited for you to be living inside of an air-conditioned house with a oh, running man. toilet with and food? water and food. Yeah. Like, they would just be like, you freaking made it. <laughs> And I'm like, that's true. That's true. When people are like, oh, your ancestors would be so disappointed in you. Not really. No, they wouldn't. Are you kidding me? We have electricity. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I wouldn't love, like I said on an episode previously, I would love to do Frontier House because it's amazing. We should. That would be great. But that's just like a vacation time because you know that you're not going to die. It's not. There's no risk. There's no risk. It's not forever. Yeah. Yeah. You can always back out. Yeah. And go home. What was the other one where they had to live in 1800s house? 1800s house. Was that the one where you're talking about where the girl like got... They went and got the shampoo show because she washed her hair. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I feel like I would they, be like, well, and they had like video of her. They were at the store <laughs> buying the shampoo in their 1800s wear. <laughs> and they were like, we're just buying the shampoo. And they lost. Yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't. They had to wash their hair. I, yeah. I feel that. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Part of me is like, just shave it. Yeah. Shave it off. I think a lot of people did that back then. That's why, why wigs were a thing. Because who who has well, time for all that Well, everybody had lice, business? too. Yeah. You just want to have a clean head. Anyway. Clean, lice-free. Anyway. Well, yeah. that was that was a great story, Jen. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to tell it. And I, yeah, just tragic. But a lot Very of people sad. survived. Yeah, which is a freaking miracle. And there's this whole other Donner party legacy, like family, you know, descendants of. Right. I guess they're the best people to talk to because they just kind of like, oh, yeah, that totally happened. And that's how they made it here. And they know a lot about it. So what a fun episode. What a fun episode. (laughs) I hope you all enjoyed it. Alrighty, Jen, are you ready to shout out our new patron? Let's do this. Excellent. Amanda, thank you so much for becoming a patron. Thank you so much for joining our Nature Nerd family. Yay! And if you would like to become a Patreon, just go to our website, click the link, or you can go to our link tree and Instagram. And it's as easy as that. Just go to Patreon and sign up. It takes seconds. It's amazing. You'll become a certified and nature nerd. Another way you can support us is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Podcast. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker. Be sure to give us your address on the contact form on our website or email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail.com. Another way you can support is go to our website and check out our sponsors and see if there's anything you'd like to order. There's links, you can get discounts. They're all zero waste or eco-friendly businesses that support us and we love them. And we're not gonna read the ads, but you can go check it out. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those things. Click that follow button. That'll help us out as well. You can also send us ideas for topics that you would like to hear. Crazy stuff you found online. You can send that to our email or DM us on Instagram. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. I took a class on uh, alcohol and beer and wine, and it was super enlightening. Were you just drinking? (laughs) I'm confused. Is that just the bar on your campus? It was was an actual class. I'm just saying those outlier classes are amazing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. 
Immortalize them. Immortalize them. Immortalize them. (laughs) God damn it. They say now in that area around Truckee Lake that local Truckee residents and a lot of others believe that the site where the Donner Party was stranded. Doesn't seem like it would be a vacation location. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like, hey, guys, we're going to go up to the lake. It's like Donner, Party of Five from Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, Robin Aww. Williams. Aww. Anyway, 